You're listening to Getting Started with NFTs, superpowered by NFT365, a curated collection of episodes specifically for the NFT newbie, talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and... What the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. Getting Started with NFTs is superpowered by the ADHD coin on Rally.io. Here's your podcast episode and your host, Brian Fenzo. Welcome back to another episode of NFT 365. I'm your host, Brian Fanzo, and on today's episode, we are talking WTFR NFTs, aka non-fungible tokens. And I don't know about you guys, I just like saying the word fungible, but it also kind of gives me a little bit of the creeps, because I'm not really sure why we picked that as a word, and I, I know for some people, we are, we're kind of wishing that uh, NF, the, like the, the concept, of even the acronym NFTs goes away. Uh, just so we don't have to say fungible, uh, just like, you know, the internet was originally named uh, Web2, uh, and then eventually we it was renamed to the internet. So uh, on that, that's what we're going to talk about on this episode. I know for a lot of people, they kind of expected this to be episode one, but uh, I wanted to really manage expectations on the last episode and kind of, come, you know, share where I was coming at things from. And so what you guys are going to get on this episode, um, I think there are some really great articles on breaking down what NFTs are. And uh, I will tell you, there was two things, one that I read and one that I watched um, that really was like my aha, like the light bulb went off um, back in, uh, I believe it was January of, of this year. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what those two articles are, why they you know, resonated with me. Uh, and I'll share them here at the end of this, uh, of this episode. And, you know, as always, this episode is powered by ADHD coin. It is a creator coin over on the rally.io sidechain. If you are in the discord, you're very familiar with this as I am very lucky and blessed to be able to give it away, uh, to those in the discord doing some airdrops, rewarding you for engagement, sharing things out on social, uh, reviews of the podcast on iTunes. And so, uh, definitely check out it's at ADHDcoin.com, ADHDcoin.com. But, you know, that's also one of these, you know, these layers within uh, this whole Web3 uh, blockchain world. And I, and I will tell you, you know, this is a, a daily podcast and uh, I've been promoting it out on, on social the last couple of days. And I had a lot of people come to me and say, Brian, that's a, that's a heavy feat for you to take on this daily concept. And I, and, I, and I do agree. It's kind of a little bit outside of my normal comfort zone uh, because consistency is something that I have struggled with in the past. And but I will say that the thing that's very interesting is that, you know, with the team, we've been going through uh, different titles of different uh, episodes that we want to record and ones that we want to create. And I will tell you, I, I, t- I had a list of about 400 uh, episodes and, and some of them were a little bit like there was blurred lines between them. But we have uh, right now, I'm looking at the Excel spreadsheet, there's 196 uh, topics that I already have outlined uh, with you know the name, the title, um, what some of the examples are, and why I'm going to create that uh, episode. So um, I'm in. I'm in this. I'm in for the long haul. So hopefully you guys are as well. And so you know the idea of non fungible, and I think this is something one of those weird um, areas of this conversation where most people go into this idea of fungible versus non fungible, and I, they, that's where they they try to like break it down from there. And I will say like one of the things I pride myself on is I am a translator of geek speak. But I'm also one that thinks it's kind of really ridiculous for us to have to always like use the terms that things are around rather than us kind of translating it in the terms that we can can actually understand. And really what non-fungible versus fungible comes down to is one is replaceable 
and one is not. And that is really what comes down. So like fungible actually means that an item can be replaced. So let's say, for example, and I, and I know this example has been used a lot, but I think it's a great one. If I loan you $20 and I say that I want the, I want the $20 back to me tomorrow, you don't have to give me that exact $20. You don't even have to give me the exact makeup of the $20 bill. You could give me a 10, a 5, and 5 ones. Therefore, money or cash in that, in that example is a fungible item because it is replaceable and it can be exchanged versus what an NFT is. An NFT is a limited edition item that is actually logged on the blockchain and that, ha- that is not exchangeable. You cannot exchange it. There is not other makeups of that one individual item. And so that still to me is a little bit weird, a little bit gray. And I know I, I'm broadcasting this live uh, into our Discord. So for those that are, uh, you know, want to jump into the Discord as well, this is just another example of, uh, you know, shout out to those that are listening here in Discord. We're going to be recording different episodes here on the podcast, some in, in the Discord, some in Twitter spaces, some on Clubhouse, and of course, some in live video. And I love, I love getting the live feedback and people talking about, you know, they, they, uh, April said, you know, she does, you know, not sure, not exactly how I feel about the word fungible, right? I like that. Um, but so th- this is where I kind of look at NFTs. And, and I'm going to set up the, because I think of NFTs as being one of four ways, one of four different ways that people are, that are entry points into the Web3 creator economy. So if you think of the Web3 creator economy as the future of, of pretty much the, the digital internet, the way that we communicate, not even digital, the way that we communicate as a whole, right? This is where we're moving, which is Web3. There are four paths or entry points that I believe that will get people into this space that then we will start kind of emerging and and eventually it won't even be something that we enter in. It'll just be something that we exist in. And NFTs are one of them. Now, NFTs can come in many different formats. um, And really when I look at this and I'm explaining it to others, what I like to think of it is it is a digital signal of something that you own that allows you, that is very easy to exchange in value And it's also easy to verify its authenticity. And what I mean by that and why I kind of think of it this way, and it comes down to ownership and the transfer of value, is that the art itself can be what is the the value of of the NFT, but it doesn't have to be. There are other components, which we refer to as the smart contract and utility that can be built on this NFT. So if we think about it this way, and this is just kind of like me you know, outlining it, how I'm thinking of it, the art piece is really just much, it's very much like the front, the, the logo on the front of a car, right? Where it says BMW, Mercedes or Jeep, I'm a Jeep guy, right? So that like, that is like the stamp on the front of the car. Now with what is below the hood, in the rest of the car will determine all the different things that are uh, that are of value right and and some of the the art will look the same much like i i believe like a lexus and a honda accord right if you look at lexus and honda i believe it's lexus lexus and and toyota you know oftentimes they look like the same car with a different uh logo on the front of it right and and the reason that they're they're one is worth more and one is not is a a variety of reasons. Maybe a lot of, some of it has to do with the parts that are underneath the hood, but also has to do with the signaling of it, right? There are people that buy a BMW, not because they want a BMW for themselves, but they want to ultimately signal to those around them that they are a BMW owner. And there is, there is an element of uh, our ability to signal to the world, like, Hey, this is what I have. And I, and, and this might sound like vanity for many people, but let's, let's think about this in the state we are in right now in 2021, 
We have just come out of a global pandemic that has forced us for the first time in history to hit the pause button, a pause button that we did not even know existed. If I would have told anyone two years ago that the world would actually physically stop evolving for a period of time because of a, of a you know, global pandemic, we would have all laughed about it, right? And so we're coming out of this. And what we are learning through this whole pandemic, and there's lots of lessons that we can, we can learn through this, but there is the lessons of, you know, identity and that, you know, the, the, the pandemic itself, this isn't a political argument. It was not, it was not bias, right? The, the pandemic impacted everyone. There was no one that was able to kind of short the system and get away from the, the pandemic itself. And so there is this, this emerging element of how do we, uh, you know, think of ourselves, and then how do we signal that to the world so that the world, so we can surround ourselves with people that also have those similar interests and the similar things than us. And so, when you think about NFTs as a whole and, and this idea of signaling, ultimately, what we've always signaled on social media was just our own profile photo, right? Just our own bio. And yes, we could use hashtags. Yes, we could use like, you know, Facebook groups. But if you think about it from this standpoint, and I always like to use, you know, this is where I'm using some of these real world examples. You know, like I am a Dave Matthews Band fan. I, I've been, you know, part of the Dave Matthews Band Warehouse Club uh, since the early 2000s. I've been to over 70 uh, Dave Matthews shows. But there is nowhere that I can like signal uh, across my, my social channels or, you know, that I am uh, a DMB fan, right? Yes, I could put it in my, in my profile, but there's not like an identity, identity kind of associated to it. Now, when we think about when that, that, for example, versus, you know, I'm also a Pittsburgh Steeler fan, right? And I literally, my Jeep is black and yellow. I'm currently wearing black and yellow shoes. Uh, I have a Steelers tattoo on me, which is, you know, a tattoo is also a very interesting signal of, you know, of our, uh, of our identity. But when we think about these things, these aren't, you know, even when we, you know, I, I'm part of the warehouse member, I put a hashtag on social media. Yes, these are signals, but we don't own our own individual signal. I mean, I, I've been to so many Dave Matthews Band concerts and I've bought well over 40 of the exclusive posters that are available only at the Dave Matthews Band concert. And I have like over 40 of them. I have exactly one currently hanging up. The other 39 are in my closet collecting dust, right? And, and the reason I use these, you know, this kind of examples is when we think about this digital age, we often try to go, how do I take what works offline and move it online. And I think that's actually a mistake. What I think we need to do is we need to think about use cases offline and then reimagine what they would look like online without the limitations that offline puts on us and ultimately leaning in to the possibilities that exist in this new world. Now, when we think about this idea of NFTs and like this whole dig digital signals, uh, signals, I'm going to break down to you a couple of different types of NFTs that exist right now. Of course, the profile photo ones are the ones that are currently the most popular. Of course, we have like Crypto Kitties and Board Ape Yacht Club and, and Crypto Punks and uh, Fame Ladies and, and women of NFTs. There's lots of ones where the, 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 main, like, the main value, the main piece that was kind of delivered was this actually profile photo that we are all, we're all very familiar with at the moment. But, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, um, he used Farmville as an example. And I'm going to read it directly. This is a Gary Vaynerchuk uh, quote, which I thought was really relevant to how, where I kind of go from here. He said, on a micro level, Farmville, with everyone that remembers Farmville, you know, it's a, an app within Facebook where you got to build a, a farm and you got to, you know, have animals and you got to, you know, get all these different points and you got to buy things and make things grow faster. 
And he said Farmville was just a silly game where people planted virtual crops. On a much larger level, however, I watched people spend real dollars to buy virtual sheep and it flipped a switch in my mind. And so that's where Gary went with this idea of like flipping his switch in his mind with Farmville. For me, the, the flip in my mind actually happened with my daughters and actually through my dad. Um, I grew up, you know, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We moved to Virginia Beach and my dad was a candy salesman and he traveled every single week when we grew up. And when he came home on Thursday nights, every Thursday night, he always came home with a pack of baseball cards or hockey cards or football cards for my brothers and I. That was like the thing that he always, you know, and I always thought I was like, man, he always finds these cards in different airports and cities that he travels. And then, of course, I got a little bit older and realized, you know, my dad bought a giant case of them and stuck them up in his bedroom and he would just open them up to give them to us as kids. But for me, like the idea of collecting these cards, I mean, it, it was ritualistic for me. Like it, I remember, you know, being trading them with friends. Um, I, I will tell you, I have a almost a half of a storage unit full of baseball cards still today. Baseball, football, hockey um, cards because um, I was very into sports. I wasn't into the comic book side of the world. I was more into the sports side of the world. But the thing about that that I think about this in this whole NFT space is that you know the thing about a an exclusive baseball card, right? So one of the ones that I have that is the more rare ones that I have is I have a Ken Griffey Jr., not the upper deck one that that kind of um, was kind of milked for the wrong ones, but I have a rookie card of a Ken Griffey Jr. that was actually never I, I, the the day that I opened it up and I had it in a packet, I put it into a sealed case and it's been in the sealed case ever since. I believe that is almost 26 years that it has been in this sealed sealed case. Now, the interesting thing about this is, yes, that's pretty cool, right? Yes, there's some value there. The funny part about it is nobody that has followed me on social media, hundreds of thousands of followers, and really none of my friends since I've graduated college have ever even looked or seen that Ken Griffey Jr. card that I have because it's been in a box with a bunch of other things that are collect that I collect that, that, and, that have value. And the interesting thing about baseball cards and, and the va- when you think about you know, collecting them and sharing them is that when we think about the, you know, this whole idea of collector cards, we have to have a certification of authority, right? We need to make sure that the card is real. But then we also have to understand its rarity, right? The, the cards that are worth the most money are the cards that there are limited amount of them out, right? There is the, the, Hon, uh, the Hannes Wagner cards where I believe there's only nine of the original um, cards that are available now and they've sold for millions of dollars. So you have the certification of authority. Then you have the rarity element. But then you also have the verification of quality, right? It has to be a certain quality. And, and over the last couple of years, now they have these, this entire system where you fly out to different places in the country with your card. I've seen people have them in like these massive, uh, you know, cases because they're worth value and they go there and someone evaluates the, the, the card. They understand, they look at the corners, they look at the quality and then they give it a grading system. Right. And all of that is because there is no way for us to track a freaking piece of cardboard that has a printed picture on it. That was that a piece of bubble gum was slapped on top of it when it was delivered. Like, let's be real here. Right? Let's think about this, right? A baseball card or any of those card collections really was just a packet of something that is a cardboard printout. 
And when you think about this versus like an NFT, the cardboard printout, the, the thing that you hold in your hand can still exist. But what the blockchain and what NFTs enable is it actually allows us to have that chain of custody and allows us to actually define authority because once something is minted onto the blockchain, once an NFT is minted onto the blockchain, the history of that NFT is going to be there for the life of the NFT. Every time it is transferred, every time it is sold, every time someone switches it into a wallet, it will all be shared to the world. And therefore, when we're thinking about the, we're evaluating the, 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 the three things that I talked about in card collecting, right? The certification of authority, the rarity of the card, and the verification of the quality. All of that is done automatically through the systems of the blockchain that NFTs that live on. So the, this is like, that's where I had like kind of the aha moment because I was like, how many people have bought amazing expensive art pieces that sit in their house that no one has ever seen unless the people have come to visit you? And they probably haven't even seen it when they come to visit you because it's in like that white carpet room that is off to the side in your house that you're not even sure why you have that, that, that room that is so perfect that you're afraid to go in there. But that's where all like the cool stuff is that you spent all the money on. Um, and I'm speaking from, from experience. And so when we think about that, In a digital world where we are hyper-connected and we spend so much of our time in our phones, it's kind of ridiculous that we spend this all of this money for this limited edition item that we love that really we are never able to show off or people aren't able to see. And that is where NFTs come into play. And now there are different types of NFTs. I mentioned the profile photos. They're called PFPs is what most people refer to them. That's kind of what the the trendy thing is at the moment. But I would argue a lot of the PFP projects have started to add utility. And really what utility means is that beyond the art, the art gets you access or gives you the ability to execute on other things. For example, I have a Playboy Rabbitar, right? The Playboy, the brand, um, minted out Rabbitars, which of course they had to do rabbits because, you know, let's face it. And I have a Rabbitar and my Rabbitar, when I was in New York at the event, they messaged out and said, everyone who has a Rabbitar NFT in their wallet, their digital wallet, has access to this private Playboy party. If you do not have it, you do not get access into that party. So now it's not only this beautiful art, which is this, you know, the rabbit art, my, my, my favorite one. One of the ones that I minted has a top hat on it. I'll put a link to it here in the, in the bio. But that actual piece, it can be used as my profile photo. It is a beautiful piece of art. But it also gives me access into, I can actually say, yes, now live, that I've been to a Playboy party. And to me, that's kind of cool. Like, I don't think I ever thought, um, you know, I was going to be <laughs> invited to a Playboy party or have access to it. But it's because they, they, they released the 11,000 uh, Playboy Rabbitars and they allowed those of us that have them to have access into this event. And the neat thing about this is the smart contract that, I, that is, we're talking about under here. And really, I, I mean, even the, the concept of you know, calling it a smart contract to me is a little bit awkward and weird because really what it is, is it's just a contract that is mostly built up in like an if this, then that format, which those that are coders, we kind of think that way. And it allows you to be very elaborate on all of the different things that exist 
exist within a, a project, an NFT, or it can be very simple, right? If you have this NFT, it gets you access into this. But it also could be, if you have this NFT and this NFT, then it also gives you additional access, right? You can, you can do some compiling. And so the PFPs, these profile photos that are out there right now, are, are really the most popular ones, but there's some really layers on there that we have to go beyond. Then the other types of different um, you know, ones that exist, we have the one-to-one artist piece where you know, the most famous one um, was, was sold for you know, $69.3 million by Beeple. And I, I talked about that in the last episode. Um, and it was, you know, it's a one-of-one piece. That means there's only one of them and he sold it. And that one person owns the one copy digital uh, NFT of that, the Beeple piece for $69.3 million. And, and many people will credit that that piece for that sale of that piece for being the thing that really transformed the NFT space. I know for me, it, it was like a light bulb that I was like, Ooh, this space now just got like a stamp of approval that I can lean in on. Um, and so that, that's kind of one of the other pieces, one of the other you know, variables or varieties of, um, of NFTs. You also then have generative, generative art, which means it is art that is actually designed, but then you are using code to actually manipulate the different versions of the art once it's on uh, the blockchain, once you mint it out there. So it is actually leveraging software code to create the different varieties of the art pieces. This is where like the rarity comes in and, and don't worry, I have an entire episode on how we look at something being rare versus something being uh, you know of value based on who holds it or the style of the piece of content. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. But then there's also like music NFTs, there's sports NFTs, there's digital fashion NFTs. Of course, there is metaverse and gaming um, NFTs. I have some gaming NFTs where um, the NFT that I purchase when I am in Decentraland um, on the, in the metaverse, I can actually add them to my character, right? So so I'm able to to add. I can actually add bunny ears to my uh, my character because the the Playboy team gave us uh, you know airdropped us one of those uh, NFTs uh, for Halloween. And so there's all of these different types, and the types are, are kind of growing. And I think one of the types that I believe we're going to see emerge that right now isn't really a category. I'm kind of making it up. One is the collaborative NFT concept. I believe we are going to start to see a very collaborative NFTs where you're almost collecting NFTs as if it's a puzzle. And that puzzle, ultimately, it's not about having just one NFT, but it's the collection of NFTs making into one bigger NFT, I believe is going to be see a, a spot that we are going to see emerge as well. So with that being said, I want to break down these nine real world examples. And, and hopefully for everyone that's listening, my, my goal here is to hopefully help you see a light bulb. But also, I know this, just as I'm going to warn everybody listening, you're going to get a lot of people that are going to not believe in this concept. They're going to be like, why is that photo worth any money? Like, what the heck? Like, you got to be kidding. This must be a passing fad. It's some silly gamers that are online. It's these hype people, Gary Vaynerchuk's out there just going out there. So after I give you these nine real world examples, I'm going to, I'm going to answer the two most popular questions you're going to get once you start talking about NFTs a little bit more and hopefully give you some of those answers so that you can move forward with them. But the nine real world examples, I started off with number one, it was the card collecting one, right? The idea of these card collections. And you know, the, the thing that's really cool for me is I use one of the, the blockchain marketplaces called Vivo, uh, which is very popular for Disney and a lot of the, um, you know, these m- mainstream market brands. And I went in and, and purchased four 
of the super uh, hero, um, you know, NFTs for Supergirl, Batgirl. Uh, I can't remember the other three. Um, and I put them in a wallet, and I and I have that wallet now as a hardware wallet. And for me, that that is something I'm going to give to my daughters, like my dad gave me baseball cards, right? And so that that to me was also one of those things where I'm I'm thinking of it from the standpoint of like, how do I pass something down to my kids? And I found these four Supergirls that I, I just thought was really it's such a cool concept. And so like to me, that's like like the like that's my generation's version of passing something down to our kids and let's face it we don't need more crap we collect plenty of crap i am a very you know i'm not a hoarder but i'm on that like on that sometimes on that fence where i, I do i collect Wheaties boxes i collect hats i collect shoes wait maybe i am a hoarder um that's a whole another <laughs> whole another uh, episode so that was number 1 card collecting number 2 an example where we can think about this idea of nft signaling is actually MySpace. And for those that are under the age of 30, uh, you can Google what MySpace is or you can just tune out this one and you'll can jump on the on the next one or so. But the top nine, if you guys remember, you always had this top nine on MySpace. And really what the top nine meant was it was the nine friends that you wanted to make sure everybody knew that you were friends with them. Like it was like, it was your way of signaling, these are my nine friends. And if you think about an NFT, like I have a crypto dad NFT is what is you what is what you see on my uh, social media accounts. That is me signaling like, hey, I am a proud dad. I am playing in the crypto space. And this is like, that's how I'm broadcasting that. And in a way, that's because I want to surround myself. I want to people that are dads or people that are friends with dads or maybe single females that like you know, single dads, <laughs> whatever that may be, I'm signaling that out. And really, that's what the MySpace top nine was. And I think when we start thinking about this idea of our social identity, here's the thing that is such an interesting, you know, that lives online. We all are craving to find our people. Let me say that again. Every one of us, are, you know, it doesn't have to be online or offline. There is no greater feeling, in my opinion, than finding your people, people that understand you, people that support you, people that push you, people that get you, people that allow you to be your true self unapologetically. And in this digital world where algorithms have ruled our lives, where we, have, you know, we were catfishing and we were faking it till we make it for so long, we have moved in this new space, hence my space, where this idea of signaling to the world who we are, the things we care about, and the, the groups that we're a part of, it just makes sense because it allows us to have one step closer to finding those people and, and an element of serendipity. Number three, the number three example that I'm going to use here is the Monopoly game at McDonald's. And if everybody remembers the Monopoly game at McDonald's, it was, um, I, I believe it happened in the fall almost every year for many, many years until there was uh, this big investigation. And there's a documentary on it that's really exciting. You guys can check out the documentary. But what it, what it was was they had a Monopoly board and you got your soda or your, your Big Mac or your French fries. And on them had the little peel off stickers and it would have the different, uh, you know, uh, pieces for your Monopoly board. And the whole goal was if you completed one of the colors, then you won the award that was with it. And of course, you had Broadway and Park Place, which was the two that had the biggest prizes. 
And the thing that was interesting about that is that, you know, ultimately what you were trying to, you know, you were going to these, the different McDonald's. I remember I had friends that were like, when I was traveling, they would be like, Hey, can you go to the McDonald's there? Cause they might have different pieces in that region or whatever that may be. But the thing that was interesting was there became this whole secondary market where people would have one rare piece that most people were missing and they would put it up on eBay and they would sell it to you because if you had all of the other spots and you were only missing that one piece and let's say the award was $100,000 if you had those three pieces, someone was selling that one piece for $60,000, all of a sudden you're like, hey, if I pay $60,000 for that, I'm going to... I'm going to net $40,000. I'm going to be able to cash in on my, on my prizes. Now, the scamming that existed there was unheard of. If you watch the documentary, people that were inside, like people that were part of understanding where the things were printed and understanding how they were distributed started manipulating the system and pocketing a lot of the main prizes, right? And so here's the interesting part about using the McDonald's uh, Monopoly piece as an example, Guess what the blockchain would have done if the Monopoly game existed in NFT form? It would have prevented the scam artists. It would have prevented those people from taking them and us not knowing who held it or where. Because here's the thing, and this is some, some NFT projects have made this mistake. When you are minting out your NFTs and you're, let's say you're putting a collection of 10,000 out there. Anyone can look at the, the, the public address of those that are out there and see you know, where, they, where the origin was and who, who was the first one to get it and then where they go from there. And so a couple projects have held some of their NFTs back for their team or for giveaways. But then the problem became all of a sudden people realized that they were holding back only their rare versions. And this is where this transparency of blockchain happened because guess what? Faking it till you make it and being like the, the fraudulent person that's trying to hide things, you get exposed in this blockchain environment because the blockchain empowers this entire concept where the, the, the bad actors now have to play in a transparent world. Now, I'm not telling you that doesn't mean that people can't try to you know, rob your wallet or make you click on a wrong link. Like, let's, let, let's not give a false sense of security. But in this game of, like, this game of Monopoly where you are collecting pieces and those pieces need to be verified and authentic and they you, you want, when you have the collection, you want to be able to send that to McDonald's and have them give you your reward. That entire process, I know of some, I, in that documentary, they said some people waited three years for them to get their actual award because they had to do all this verification. In the digital you know, blockchain NFT world, that's no longer the case. No longer the case. You no longer have to worry, is that someone selling me the real one or the fake one? And so McDonald's game, um, a Monopoly McDonald's game was one that I thought was a really great example. The next one is actually a funny one I still use today. I don't know, for you guys that are listening, was anyone a proud mayor of like their local McDonald's or Dunkin' Donuts or Tropical Smoothie or your local gym or maybe the grocery store? Was anyone mayors? And, and the app I'm referring to is called Foursquare. If we remember Foursquare, it was uh, it was purchased and then it was morphed into an, another app, which is called Swarm uh, today. And I actually, I pulled up Swarm because I still technically use Swarm today, which is kind of funny. And I'll just like share like, 
every time I went somewhere, and this is how this app worked for those that weren't familiar with it, you checked in that you were there at this location. And so over the years since I've actually had, um, you know, been using the app, and of course, I've been to 76 countries. And the cool thing is, because I've checked into a lot of those countries on this app, they're actually there. But like, I'm opened up this Swarm app, and it shows that I've been to 5,428 check-ins. I've been to, wow, so on here, it says I've been, I've checked in at 61 different countries. Um, I've visited over 2,022 places on this app where I checked in. And back when this first started, what you would do is if you were the person that had checked in the most frequently at that location, they gave you this mayor badge and all these coins dropped to you. And then every time someone checked in at that location, it would say, thank you for checking in. Did you know that iSocial Fans is the mayor of you know Dunkin' Donuts? I, that's the one I know I was a mayor of for a while. Uh, I had no shame. I'm a big Dunkin' Donuts fan. Uh, but the idea there was there was gamification, but there was also this tracking mechanism because for me, what I started to use Foursquare for was my ability to know where I had been, what restaurants I had been. And I started putting in like in the, in the space of your, um, of your Foursquare post, I would actually put what by review of the restaurant. This is before Yelp. And I would say I ordered the, the salmon and the salmon was great, but next time I should, I should cook it medium. And so when I went back there, the next time to check in, the app would pop up and say, Brian, you were here three weeks ago and this was what you posted. And I would actually be able to see what I ordered. And the funny thing about this is I remember us talking about these mayorships and this idea of like, Hey, this is my, like, I, I, I technically own the most frequent person at Dunkin' Donuts, right? That's probably not the one you want to brag about, right? The one you might want to brag about is your gym, right? Like I, I am the one that's been to the gold's gym the most or planet fitness more than everyone else. And that was, that was a mayorship. If we think about this in the NFT space today, and we have there's a concept called POAPs, P-O-A-P, which is it's the it's actually the like the proof of us going or or experiencing something. What what we're able to do in this NFT space is we are able to move into a world where not only are we being able to track where we've been, but we're now able to use these digital records because everything, every action you take with an NFT is tra- it's all is inked, is literally put into the ledger. It cannot be erased and that cannot be removed when you make actions online. And so ultimately this idea of, you know, how could I, right now, no one could say, Brian, I don't believe you've been to over 70 Dave Matthews bands concerts. Now I will tell you, because I, I mentioned before, I'm slightly a hoarder. I do believe I have almost every ticket, physical paper ticket that I've ever been to a Dave Matthews bands concert. I knew I have every Steelers ticket that I've ever, I've ever had. I've collected those, but like, how would you prove that you've done these things or been to these places or experienced these things. And then also how can people reward with them, right? Because if you think about it from a brand perspective, I, and I have a whole episode coming up um, you know, over the next couple uh, days on how brands can think about NFTs because I've been doing a lot of consulting um, on that space. I, I've, worked, I've had a couple calls just this week with some really big brands and they're asking me to help them build out what an NFT would look like in their environment. And for me, this idea of rewarding people based on where they've been, the purchases they've made is really an exciting concept. So that's one of the ones Foursquare, I think, is a great one. A newer version of the the same thing, and I love that everyone watching live right now is saying that they are a mayor. Uh, very similar uh, to Foursquare, but it has a more niched uh, focus, is the, an app called Untapped. Is anyone familiar with Untapped? Maybe my fellow beer drinkers and brewery fans. And if you are a beer drinker, you should you check out this app. Um, I've been using it now for a, a good while. I, I joined it in 2012. 
And I've actually checked in 100 or 1,314 times, and I've checked in 680 unique beers. So pretty much every beer that I've drank at every brewery in every city that I've traveled to, if it's a unique beer, like I don't check in every single time I drink Bud Light or every Guinness that I have. But if I go to a place and and I'm drinking a new beer or a beer that I think is rather rare, I open up the app, I can click on the location, I can click, I can add a photo, I can add my review, and I can check in there. The next time I go to order that beer, I can actually pull it up and see what I said about it. And this app, what is really cool about it is they started to reward people and say, you could get into the untapped beer festival, which was a beer and music festival. If you had a certain amount of check-ins over a certain amount of time. And then they started to do things where if you went to two or three different beer um, events where you were supporting local brewers and you checked in there, then you're, it would enable you to have these free discounts. And uh, I, mean, I remember I got an entire gift box from, um, I can't remember what the company, it's kind of sad, I wish I knew remember the company was, um, I think it's called, it was called um, is it Bev's? It's a, it's an Arizona brewing uh, beverage company. But they because I had checked in on this variety of beers in this certain amount of time in Arizona, they awarded me this amazing gift box. And I, I still actually use the bottle opener to this day. And that was, uh, I mean, easily uh, eight years ago. And so when we think about it, yes, and I, I mean, I'm an IPA. Actually, I've never met a beer I didn't like. So I'm not always the greatest reviewer of beer because I like all versions of beer. But yeah, IPAs are my favorite. But the cool thing about that untapped was... If you think about it, I was checking in what beers I like onto their onto their system, and then I, it was providing me a log. But there really was no way of exchange or management or of, of of information or currency within there. So Untapped had the gamification. It also had the building of rewards based on the thing the actions you were taking the app. But it was missing. It's missing a lot of the things because most people, a lot of people that are following me right now that I see are watching this live, they, they probably didn't know that I'm a massive beer fan and I've checked in over 680 uh, beers and I've given my own review on them. And it's because there was no way for me like to signal or put that out there. And so that untapped one is a good one. Uh, and, I, and this is right. So that was number five. And real quick, for those that are, are watching live, I know I, I, we have some uh, live viewers in the, uh, the audience here on Discord. I'm taking a snapshot right now, and I'm going to give... All of you that are in there now, I just took a screenshot of all everyone that's in here now. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna gift you. Uh, I'm gonna airdrop you guys each uh, five dollars in ADHD coin for being here live and hanging out with me on this Saturday afternoon. I had some technical issues to start this off, so I just want to say thank you guys for hanging out with me and thank you for being a part of the uh, Fan Zone Discord. And just another benefit for you guys that are listening uh, to jump into the Discord. If you don't like Discord, uh, neither did I. I had to come in there kicking and screaming uh, about eleven months ago and. And I'm learning not to hate it would be my best uh, example. But um, we try to manage the, the, our Discord um, and, and kind of stay in the loop there. But one of the cool things are is it's where I'm dropping, you know, uh, you know, free giveaways. I'm giving you know information before it's public uh, and also doing cool things like this because, you know, the beauty of having this creator coin is I can lift up everyone and I can kind of just say, hey, here's a little thank you, uh, you know, for those that are listening live. And, and if you're listening and you can't listen to this live, um, if you, you know, if you jump into the Discord and you leave a, a review on one of the platforms, uh, drop one of those photos in, uh, of your review inside of our Discord and uh, I'll make sure to take care of you as well. So thanks everybody for watching uh, that's listening in live. So number six, number six of the nine real world examples is Pokemon Go. 
And I think we can all, even if you didn't play Pokemon Go, Pokemon Go like just came out of nowhere and all of a sudden was everyone was talking about it. And what it was, it was, it was an AR-enabled game with your mobile device that allowed you to use the area around you to actually find and search for these different digital overlays that you could only see when you were holding your phone up. And then, of course, they became collections. There was games within the games. And the, the other elements of that was certain um, Pokemon Go collections were very rare compared to others. Therefore, if you had one of the ones that like was super rare, and I don't know the terminology because like my daughter has been uh, has been uh, Pikachu uh, the last couple of years, and my daughter knows way more about Pokemon than I do. But the concept of Pokemon Go, and I wrote a really detailed blog post on this when Pokemon Go came out, and I'll share it in the in the show notes because I broke down this idea of overlaying our digital world in the current world and that I knew it was a little too early. Google Glass was way too early. Pokemon Go was still a little early. Right now, we're probably still a little early in this idea of overlaying digital assets truly on our everyday environment. But I, mark my words, we are not far away from that. In two or three years, when you go to a, an event or a concert, you go into a restaurant, something that you have on you will be able to cast a visual representation where you will see the people that are in the restaurant. If you follow any of them on Facebook or if you if any of them also are part of the same charities that you are a part of um, whatever that may be and so that's what Pokemon Go kind of added into this NFT world and one of the parts that was really interesting about it was you knew the people that were into Pokemon Go because they wouldn't stop talking about it but they really didn't have a way to kind of like advertise what they are doing but they also didn't have a way if you spent like six months on Pokemon Go and then you got burnt out there was no way for you to transfer all of the things that you had done to someone else that wanted to build on that. And so like, that's the other thing that in an NFTs that enable is that an, an NFT can have utility, right? What Gary Vaynerchuk's V friends, he he's given people that have certain V friends. You get access to an, any, a, a exclusive conference uh, every year for the next three years. So the next three years that that NFT gets into the next three concerts, uh, the next three conferences. But let's say you go to that conference this next year, Gary blows your mind, but then all of a sudden life happens and you decide to pivot your business and you're no longer in that space and you have no need to go to those next two events. In the the past world, you'd have to try to somehow scalp that ticket or hope that you could sell or get someone in. And in many cases, those events wouldn't even allow that. Well, now I can simply post that NFT for sale and whoever has it next knows that it has two more accesses to those events. And how they know that is because it's built into the contract. And so there is nothing manual that some human has to do. All of those things are are built directly in to the software and the code that is underneath of this. And I think that to me is one of those things that really like in the Pokemon Go example really would shift the narrative. Number seven in real world examples, the Facebook badges or like the Facebook rings. Does anyone, I know many of, many of my friends aren't on Facebook a lot. I'm still a Facebook user. I still enjoy Facebook. Um, not as much for um, like trying to beat the algorithm, but I do enjoy, you know, uh, catch, you know, staying in touch with friends and family. And I don't like talking on the phone. So if I can see what my family is doing uh, via Facebook, I feel like it saves me a phone call. It's still worth it for me. But when you go, like I, I'm a, I was been on the board for No Kid Hungry for many years, and I was very proud about being on the board for No Kid Hungry. But really, the only time you knew that was if you went to my LinkedIn profile and it had it on there. 
But then I think it was probably two years ago um, during uh, the holidays, actually right now, like right around Thanksgiving, they would enable this this badge that would be on your profile photo that said, I support no kid hungry. And everybody that was that was a part of that movement or believed in that charity or that that movement, and they are a great movement for those that want to check them out. I'm a huge fan and believer they're on a mission to end childhood uh, hunger here in uh, United States. And it's a, a massive problem that only grew um, during the pandemic. But that was a way for me to signal to others, not only something I believed in, but uh, I remember when I first changed my profile photo, all of a sudden I got these friend requests from people that were also part of the No Kid Hungry family that were also on the same team that I was on, but I didn't, wasn't connected with them on social because there was no really way for me to put that out to say, hey, this is what I'm doing and this is what I'm working on. And so for me, when we think about that and we think about this, this concept, that was, that, that's also a signaling concept. Now, because I've heard this from people, they say, Brian, like why do you have like a cartoon photo of you not just a picture of you like Brian you preach transparency and being your authentic self right like that's what I always hear well here's the breaking news just posting a picture of you a photo of you does not make you authentic it does not make you like all of a sudden uh you know the exact person I'm like it is it, it takes a lot more it's all encompassing how we show up but the thing that it, what it does is it does allow us to create kind of like form and identity and in a way allow us to step into things that we represent that our physical attributes do not Right. Like, and let me like explain that for a second. Right. Like the idea that we can incorporate different components in a art piece that represents who we are. Right. I am ADHD superpowered. I am a girl dad of three little girls. I am a digital futurist, diehard Pittsburgh sports fan. I am a big fan of Jeeps. I am a sneakerhead. I love getting tattoos and I'm a big believer in helping the world understand the harmony between technology and mental health and humanity. Now, how the hell would I represent all of that anywhere, right? And you probably couldn't, right? I have, that's a kind of an extreme example. But what I was able to do with my profile photo that you guys will see right now, and you'll see a link in the comments or in the show notes, is it's actually three of my NFTs combined. So it's the Crypto Dad NFT that I have because I own the rights to it. Then it is the Secret Society art piece that I turned the shirt that I was, the Crypto Dad had on is now has that art piece over on top of it. And then I took the Bubblegum Kids NFT um, and I took the hat off of that NFT and put it on top of that one. And now I felt like, cause the hat was pink. And when I look at that piece of art, to me, it, it's starting to resemble very much all of those things. I just rambled off that some, most of you guys were like, holy crap, he was talking fast and naming all these things that, that, that he, that, that make him up. And so the idea that we can step into these digital, um, representations, these avatars for many people, that's like, we have, it's catfishing, right? Like, oh my goodness, we can hide behind uh, an avatar, but here's the thing we've been catfishing forever, right? People have been faking who they were online. They've been using filters and Photoshop. And I mean, a lot of the people, if you've used a dating app recently, people still post photos of 10 years ago um, on as their dating profile. And then when you show up and meet them, you're like, did you think I wasn't going to realize that you've changed in 10 years? So the concept of like, just because it's an avatar or a digital art piece and the fact that like, people believe that all of a sudden makes it less personal or less authentic or less you know, representation of who we are is because we are trying to take offline methodology and thought process 
and take it online. And that is not what works, right? We have to re reimagine what is possible. If we are reimagining a way for us to represent our whole amazing selves, and every one of you that's listening to this episode, every one of you, you what who you are at your core, every aspect of who you are, your strengths, your vulnerabilities, your weaknesses, the things that you love about yourself, the things that you hate about yourself, all of them make up who you are and the beautiful human that you are. It's, it's because of all of those things. It's not just because of the, the things we want to shine the light on or the things that we want that we're proud of. All of it makes us up. And so I think about this in like this idea of like Facebook badges and moving forward. It's a really cool way to make that all kind of show up. Number eight in my, in my not the list of nine, I promise I'm getting to the, the final ones. Number eight was the Jeep. I mentioned that I'm a Jeep driver. And if anyone else drives a Jeep, a Jeep Wrangler specifically, um, we have a Jeep wave that you eventually are either told when you buy the Jeep. I wasn't told. I got my first Jeep in 1998. Uh, it, was, it was a gift from my, my parents that I, I got a, a 1998 Jeep Wrangler that I absolutely love. And I ran into the ground and rolled it over and got different roll cages on it a couple times. And, and dad, if you're listening, sorry, I didn't tell you that when I was in college, but I just got it fixed. I solved the problem, dad. So uh, be proud of that side. But the thing about being in the Jeep life, the Jeep life to me embodies who I am. It is rough. It is not perfect. It is oftentimes bright and sometimes falling apart, but is always working and they hold their value and they are determined to go wherever they need to go. And there is nothing that is going to stop them. And there is like a characteristic when I meet a fellow Jeep driver, it's like, Hey, that person's a Jeep. Like we, we get each other and there's this wave. So when we, when we drive by each other, we wave, it's, you know, it's two fingers, a, a two finger wave on our steering wheel. It sounds corny. It sounds ridiculous. There's no other car um, club or group that actually has this. It wasn't actually started by Jeep the brand. It was actually started by some enthusiasts that were going to these Jeep meetups and just started waving to everybody and then they decided to kind of create this wave and now Jeep has kind of embraced it. But the the reason I say that is because my Jeep affinity and love and representation of that has never existed in a digital world. There is no way for me to like have that same version online. It just hasn't been there. And you know, Jeep, if you're listening, you know, I will gladly waive my fee to work with you guys on rolling out an NFT project. So anyone that has connections there in that world, uh, hook it up. Uh, fanzo at isocialfans.com. Uh, I would love to work with uh, Jeep as one of my you know my favorite brands. And I've actually owned a Jeep my entire driving life from 16 to 40 years old. Uh, I've owned a couple different Jeep. Brands. Wranglers. I had a Jeep Cherokee as well. Uh, and I plan on owning multiple Jeep Wranglers moving forward. Uh, so for me, that's part of it, right? It's community. It's also identity, but it's also t- attached to a physical object, which is the Jeep that we currently own, right? So just like an NFT, you own the, the that piece of art, just like that Jeep, that yellow, black and yellow Jeep, 2011 Jeep Wrangler Rubicon that is sitting in my driveway right now. I own that. That is mine. It is black and yellow and it has, you know, lifted up on, uh, you know, 35-inch tires. And so like that that is just one of those ways that was to think about. The last one, and I think it's one that, you know, I just want to throw in there because I think it's important. It's also connects to the fan zone is being a season ticket holder. My dad um, has had season tickets for the Steelers since 1969. Uh, When I was born in 1981, he put me on the wait list to get a season ticket for the Steelers. At the time, it was an 11-year wait list. It ended up being 13 years before my name uh, was called to actually be, be, you know, I was put on there when I was born. uh, And then it wasn't until I was uh, a little over 13 years old before my name came up to get one of those season tickets. So in Pittsburgh, these are like the prize of prize possessions. But up until recently, 
they were actually not something that the actual season ticket holder owned it. So even though my dad, for 30 years, every year paid for those tickets, paid for the preseason games, played for the regular season games, and was loyal fan, every year he had to renew, and he didn't have any physical ownership of that actual ticket. And so technically, when we were not going to a game and we were selling them or sending them to a friend or, or, or selling them on the side of the street— if we sold them for for a profit more than the face value, we were technically violating the contract because we didn't actually own that. Therefore, we did not get to determine the value of that ticket. Now, over the last 10 years or so, a lot of the big sports have shifted that, and now they have something they call, and it's really because they got to add some fees to it, but now they have something that's called a seat license. And what this seat license allows you to do is you pay a little bit more, up, a lot more up front, but then you actually own those seats and those tickets. And therefore, when you no longer want them, you can give them back into the poll and the, and the Steelers will buy them for you, or you could pass them down in your will, or you could send them to someone else that wants to maybe go for the year because you're traveling and then they can send them back to you. And so when we think about NFTs, ultimately that's what NFTs allow us to enable and be a part of as well, is all of a sudden now, and I love that JJ put uh, in, in the, the live Discord chat, he put the, the Jeep wave in there, so uh, thanks JJ for that. Uh, and I love, Nancy said she drove a Jeep for 16 years as well, so uh, super cool to see both of that. And so the season ticket one, the Jeep one, to me, it's the idea of identity and community. Now, the funny thing about this is I'm done with the nine. I'm about to kind of pull all this together and hopefully answer the questions you guys want to hear as we move forward and we'll, we'll get done with this episode. I know it's a longer episode, but I promise you, you know, the, if you've stuck with me this long, I'm going to leave you with a couple of really good things here, um, you know, as we pull things together. Now, all of these things coming in there, the thing that I've heard a ton and I purposely left it out of the conversation was people say when they're explaining it, I, I heard this in New York when I was at the event last week. Everyone said, well, really, NFTs represent community. And here's the thing. I am the biggest believer of community. I mean, the first chapter of the book that I've been writing is called Press the Damn Button. The first chapter, the, literally the title of the first chapter is The Future of Business is Community. That's how much I believe in community. But I also have a problem when we all of a sudden assume or associate groups of people that are hanging out in one location and calling that a community. Or by the fact that we were able to do a giveaway and said everyone that jumps in the Discord over a certain amount of pe period of time, if you're in there before October 1st, we're going to raffle off a Lamborghini and one person is going to win a Lamborghini. And then we tell people that our community has 200,000 people. No, you have 200,000 individuals that joined a platform to try to win something. And as soon as they don't win, you now have 199,999 people that are pissed off they didn't win, that are probably going to berate in that, in that same community, you know, in that same platform. And then they're just going to disappear and they're going to go somewhere else. And so I do believe community signaling the community that you're a part of and the, the importance of community is the, is the backbone of these NFTs. But I do not believe at the moment we've figured out what that community looks like over a longer period of time, how it evolves, right? I don't care if you look at you know, the press that board yacht ape clubs are getting or crypto punks or crypto kitties or any of these ones, like the ability to build a community. I, I look at community building as it's very easy at the start, right? There's energy and there's people coming together and, and we're all this shared purpose and passion. But as you add more people and some people, um, life happens, they start to go away and maybe the value of the community starts going down, 
That's where the real work happens. That's where the real magic happens. And so for me, when I'm assessing a community, I am looking at those core beliefs, but I am not one that will look at something and say, oh, because they have this many people or they're doing this much that, they, that they're going to be a community. So community is like an underlying element of these NFTs. Now, I told you at the very beginning that I believed NFTs were one of four ways entry points for people to get into this web three creator economy. The other three are cryptocurrency, right? And funny enough, I I, I ran some trends on Google trends and some data on BuzzSumo today. And, you know, the amount of people that misplay that, that interchange Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is hilarious, right? Crypto is the all encompassing vehicle that all of these play under. Bitcoin is just happens to be one type uh, uh, of actual cryptocurrency. And interestingly enough, in this world we're in today, we've kind of interchanged all that together. But the four ways that we can enter people into this creator economy, web three, one of them is NFTs. The second one is cryptocurrency, right? Which And cryptocurrency, just for those that are, are trying to wrap their head around fungible, non-fungible, crypto is actually a fungible item, right? Because I can, I can send you one ETH and uh, a week from now, you can send me a one ETH back and it won't, does not have to be made up of the exact same ETH that I sent you. You, can, you could have sold all that one ETH or you could have bought a couple things and brought it back. And so that ETH um, in cryptocurrency is actually a fungible item. So the, the first one is NFT. The second one is cryptocurrency. The third one are creator coins or social tokens. And I'm very, uh, you know, uh, biased on that one a little bit because I have my own, which is the ADHD uh, creator coin. It launched in March of last year, March of this year, I'm sorry. And it is how I'm rewarding my community. It's how I'm incentivizing. It's how we're growing together. We now have over 600 supporters that are holding the ADHD coin. Uh, I'm giving out NFTs. I have some merchandise that's going to be dropped. So people that are holding a certain amount of ADHD coin, 193, um, will actually get a free, you know, merchandise sent to them uh, at their at their house just for my way of saying thank you for holding that. But what's neat about the 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 creator coins is that you don't need a digital wallet. You don't need to understand all of the different variables that go into crypto, but the the creator coins actually, much like an NFT, have utility underneath them as well. So like in my Discord, if you are holding a certain amount of, of, of ADHD coin, you get higher access into these different levels within the Discord, right? So I, if you, right now, if you, own a, if you are holding a thousand ADHD coins, which you know I'm very proud that there's, there's four people in the Discord that are holding a thousand ADHD coins, they have access to the 1,000 uh, level, the 1,000 um, channel on that Discord. And I will tell you, I have pushed notifications on for that channel. And if someone is in there and is commenting or asking a question, I will return that reply to it within seconds. It's my way of like, hey, this is the access that you get. So crypto, the, these creator coins, is kind of like the hybrid between an NFT and the cryptocurrency. And then the fourth pathway, the fourth entry point into Web3 and the creator economy is the metaverse gaming concept, right? The idea that the metaverse, which we heard Facebook just renamed as meta, which I know for many people, that's the first time they had ever heard of that. But really what the metaverse is, the metaverse is actually something that's actually built on the blockchain. These are all four of these are built on the blockchain that allows us to add virtual and digital representation, sometimes in 3D, sometimes in virtual reality, but not having to be, right? That's a misconception that people believe that you had to have one of these you know, different things to actually um, exist in that environment. But then you can buy land, you can add different characteristics, you can um, add you know, concerts and shows and things that exist. And so the four, those are the four types that are kind of the entry point um, into the creator economy. 
So as I wrap this to kind of pull this together, I'm going to tell you now those two questions you're probably going to get asked now that you're kind of like leaning into NFTs. And I promise if this was still overwhelming for you, I'm going to have other episodes where I'm going to break down each one of these components a little bit further. I mean, I'm doing this for the next 365 days. So I promise you, I'm going to answer all of your questions. And if I haven't, Jump over into that Discord or jump over on the Twitter and send me a question that you have that you would love me to cover on a future episode. I got plenty of episodes in the, uh, coming up, so I will hit those out. But for me, the two most common questions that are getting asked when someone starts talking about NFTs is they will say, what makes these JPEGs worth any money? What, can I just screenshot that, that picture and put it on my profile? And like, why, why is that worth anything? Well, first of all, just like everything that exists out there, right? I could take a picture of a Jeep Wrangler and post it on Facebook, but it does not mean I own a Jeep Wrangler. It does not mean I drive one. It does not mean I can sell one. Just like you could take a photo of the Mona Lisa, but just because you have a photo of it does not actually contain any ownership to that piece. And so when we look at the JPEG and we look at the art, the art is a massive piece of of this NFT movement. And I love that we are going to start to move away from this idea of the starving artist because NFTs are going to allow artists to not only get rewarded and monetize their first launch of their that that initial piece of art but the way the contract works is they'll actually continue get residual or they'll get you know a creator percentage every time their artist is, is, is sold which I think is such a, a beautiful aspect of this but for many pieces of it the art doesn't have to be beautiful to everyone but it can represent the utility that's underneath and I think the art being the face of NFTs is also kind of cool because guess what? It also is, its beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And just because you don't like, you can't figure out why people like these crypto punks that are, that are you know, in a certain design of art doesn't mean that there isn't hundreds of thousands of people that do. And that's kind of how the art comes in there. So when people are asking you, like, what makes these JPEGs worth money? The thing that you always have to come back to is ownership and the exchange of value. If I take a picture of a Joe Montana rookie card, I cannot, I do not own it and I cannot sell it. I cannot have someone come over and, and we can't exchange it for goods because it's not actually mine. But if I actually have a NFT and it is logged in the blockchain and it is connected to my wallet, I am able to share it. And so that's the answer to that question with someone who gets that. The second one that, we, that I feel like I've been getting a lot more recently here is, are these NFT things legit and how long will they be around? And if so, is it too late for me to jump in? And we hear that a lot. And so I'll answer the, first, the last part there. It's not too late to jump in. We are still dealing with a very small micro amount of people that even understand what an NFT is, let alone an even smaller group of people that are actually holding an NFT or have purchased an NFT or even created an NFT themselves. So we are still way in the early adoption phase of this whole game. So you're not too late. The, the reason that many people look at themselves being too late is that a lot of what they're calling blue chip projects, some of these projects that are worth, you know, the cheapest you can get is hundreds of thousands of dollars. People feel like, oh, well, if I was in here in March and I was able to get a bored ape for 300 bucks, like I missed that boat. Well, here, here's what I have to say to that is there are plenty of projects that are launching today, tomorrow, the next couple of days that have the same ability to create that same kind of uh, growth, that same kind of utility, the same kind of community under there. So it's not too late in that realm uh, uh, either. The other part of this is how long will they exist and, and are they legit? I believe the blockchain that all of this is built on 
will be the single greatest disruption to how we look at our lives since the internet was created. And that's not like an original thought. I know lots of people have said that. But I've been, I, my, the first keynote I ever gave on blockchain was in 2013. And I was extremely excited by this idea that we had a decentralized um, ability to have no one company or entity own anything. And we were able to use this to exchange goods and services. And we were able to track our data because let's face it, if everyone doesn't realize this, if you are using a platform like Facebook or Instagram or Twitter for free, you are paying with it with your data. Right, we. I think we've all learned that the hard way with all of the different things that have happened. And the funny thing about it is, we now get to own our data. We get to control where our data goes and who gets it because eventually everything, like our credit score, all of those things would actually are going to be able to tracked and managed within this blockchain environment. And we, as the the sole proprietor owner of that, will be able to determine who gets what, where, when, and how we kind of bring all of that together. And so that, to me, is the answer to that. Second one is you know on is it legit and then how long will it last? I don't I mean nobody is a, an NFT expert right now because it, NFTs have not been around long enough for anyone to be an expert. But I also think no one really knows as far as like the longevity. I do believe our ability to signal and our ability to um, share a, a a you know exchange value online and do it in a way that has exclusivity to it will never go away. Now, will it, 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 it morph into some kind of other version of something that's maybe not the square image that we're seeing today or, or not the, the static, like, you know, one of 10,000 collections? Yes, probably we're going to see a shift in some of those other, um, you know, aspects of this entire world. But I do believe that if you are, I believe, here's, here's, here's how I'll frame this. And none of this is financial advice, as you heard in the intro. Uh, this is not financial advice. But the way I look at this is your investment in understanding this world of decentralization, represent ownership of a digital asset, and your ability to exchange it for value will be something that will be, it'll continue to be valuable for your life until you die. Therefore, even if the NFT concept goes away, the methodology, the concepts, the, the mechanics, the nuances that exist in NFTs will be essential as we move forward. And that's why I dedicated a whole show to us. I am not a niche guy. I am one that preaches that you do not need a niche. I am like team no niche. And I launched a podcast called NFT 365. That's pretty damn niche for me. Like I, I, I if I would have had it my way, I would have named it like creator economy 365, right? Like, or I would have named it blockchain 365. Cause I was like, Ooh, give me a little bit of everything. But I look at NFTs specifically as this idea, as this really transformation on generations where I believe my dad understands a Joe Montana rookie card. And if I can get him to understand what the ownership and the exchange of value exists on blockchain, I can get my dad's generation to see that. And then we have a younger generation that looks at gaming and, and everything that exists in their world where my daughters are playing games and ask me to buy coins and I'm, I'm leveling them up. Th- that world understands a lot of this NFT space as well, but the exchanging of value and writing contracts is new to them. And so I look at this as NFTs as being that great generational bridge of how we move into the Web 3.0 environment. 
So last but not least, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, there are two resources that really um, allowed me to have my aha moment um, when it came to NFTs. I'm going to put both of the links um, in the show notes. I'm going to put them here in the Discord as well. The first one was from 1.39 p.m., which is a great digital magazine. Um, I was actually able to be at their uh, event and party last week in New York City. The, the actual, the, the name of the, the, the post was A Guide to NFTs and How They Are About to Revolutionize Pretty Much Everything. But I will tell you, the thing that caught my attention was not the title, but it was the graphic at the top of this post that just had giant letters, WTF, question mark, NFTs, question mark, which is hence why you see the name of this episode. Because when I was scrolling and I saw that, I was like, oh, and I started reading this detailed article and I was like, Oh my goodness, this is coming together. So that's one of the ones I definitely recommend you to um, actually check out. And then the next one, the, the other one is from The Verge. And the title of this blog post is called NFTs Explained. And it's actually kind of like, a, it's, a, it's a, a blog post, I think it came out in August, but it's like the combination of like six other blog posts that I read in like January and February they brought together. And what's really neat about that one is it breaks down things little bit less from like a web three world, but it really highlights the different components that exist within an NFT much more than just kind of the list that I got that I went on here. So um, with that being said, you know, hopefully you guys got something out of this, you know, understand you know, where we're going, maybe just even a little bit more light bulb. I, I will say, you know, the, my joke has been, we all have to do our own damn research, right? Because I don't know what your risk tolerance is. I don't know what your definition of success is. I don't know what you believe is a, a, a beautiful piece of art. I don't know how you look at community. I don't know how much time you have for community. I don't know how you look at is, is, you know, is gaining $300 in a day um, worth the time of, of buying and flipping something? Or are you someone that wants to sit, sit on something for a long period of time hoping to hit it for $300,000? Whatever all those things are, whatever all those different things are, they all make up our decisions to be different. And I will say this, the NFT space is beautiful. It's so beautiful because there's no one right way to do it. Everyone can go about this collecting and exchanging different ways. You can really carve out your own strategy and methodology on when you hold, when you sell, what projects you get into, which ones you buy five of versus buying one of. It's really an open, you know, it's an open marketplace for us to decide. The reason that many of us are overwhelmed by NFTs is because there's no, there's no like set program. There's not like do this, do this, do this, do this. It's going to make you money. But let's face it, that's part of the beautiful thing is that if you were a good person doing good things and you're willing to put in the time and research, I believe you're going to carve out your own way of making all of this work. So from Brian Fanzo and for the ADHD Superpowered Coin, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of NFT365. Also make sure to check out, um, we're gonna be, it's going to be uh, being announced, the, the page and everything this week. Um, we are minting an NFT every single day for the next 365 days. I'm actually going to bring in some investors and give some of you that are listening an opportunity to come in on this project because um, at uh, on 11-11-22, so November 11th, 2022, um, we are going to have all 365 NFTs put into one NFT and we are going to sell that on that day. And I am going to give some of you an option to come in there and you'll get a percentage of that sale. So you'll be able to kind of come along on the journey. We're going to mint a different NFT every day. I have uh, I will tell you guys that on this episode now, we minted on day one uh, the ENS domain uh, for this podcast. So it is the, um, you know, it is that the, the funky looking uh, hashtag that you guys see in the title here. Um, it's my way of kind of having a little creativity. So it's N3 
F6T5, which is just uh, NFT365 jumbled up. Um, that is the uh, ENS domain. So that was the first one we minted on day one. And on day two, we minted a Chibi Ape, uh, which is a project that I've been involved with for a, a good while. I have generation one and generation two of theirs. Uh, and then today, we are going to be minting one um, pretty much in about uh, an hour after I'm done recording this for number three. And the cool part is, once we get through the first week, I'm going to make this very transparent. You're going to have a landing page. You're going to see what we're minting. You're going to see the upcoming projects that we're evaluating. We're going to make this a lot of fun. But I need to get through this first week of launching the podcast and doing the mints and figuring out the best way. I mean, right now I have five wallets, hot wallets. That I have to exchange things between and I'm, I'm paying like $4,000 in gas fees, which we didn't even get into that today. But um, I digress. So uh, with that being said, make it a great day, my friends. Uh, remember, uh, you know, let people know that you care about them. No one will ever say that you care too much. Thank you for listening to Getting Started with NFTs. If you found this helpful, let us know by leaving a review. Like, subscribe, share, and do all of those good things. We are greater than me. And as always, the show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research.